0: Um, as people take a seat, if you don't have a Bible, we, we have hardcover black Bibles that are out on that table out there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd we'll love to give you one. Um, we'd we'll love it if you, if you took this home, if you made it your own, write your name in it, take notes in it, draw all over it. It's okay, it's not precious or anything. The Word of God's precious, the book is not precious. Um, but we want to give this to you as well because um, we'd we'll love it. Like, the more we see people with their own Bibles, open it up, like checking. Um, that what we, what we say at the front here lines up with what the Word of God says, the better. Um, so please, please grab one of those Bibles. If you don't have one, it's in your handout. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, you can get it on your phone. You've got a Bible gateway. Um, or just listen to the three verses I'm going to read out. But this is Colossians chapter 3, um, verse 1 to 3. So since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God.
1: Thanks, bro. I'm just going to pray and we'll jump in. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that you still speak to us. Thank you that you still change us and shape us to be more like your son, Jesus. Uh, We ask that you work within us and amongst us tonight. Amen. Often there can be a bit of a stereotype when it comes to Christians. I'm sure you've encountered it in different ways. Uh, The stereotype is that Christians don't know how to have fun. It's kind of like that song about girls, but it's about Christians. Christians can't have fun. They can't enjoy. You know that song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun? Kind of reverse with Christians. We don't know how to have fun. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. It's tempting. But no, I don't think anyone wants to see that. Um, There's a bunch of places I could go to. I've already used an example on the fly. Don't do that if you're for preaching. You know, just stick to your notes. Stick to your notes. Um, A few places I could go to There's like examples of this. Um, I remember when I was an English teacher, I used to have to teach a play called The Crucible. Now, you may not have heard of this. It's basically a play kind of set in 18th century America, particularly a place called Massachusetts, Salem, in fact. Um, And it's about the group called the Puritans. Now, the Puritans were a lot of things, but the reputation that they had was that they didn't know how to have fun. And so their life was basically really serious. So they didn't dance. They didn't let men and women speak to each other in, only in certain circumstances. They didn't drink. They didn't play cards. They didn't do a lot of the things that we can associate with having a good time. As the Puritans, that's just one example perceived as joyless and funless. Now, I think there's more to be said about that, but I've got another example as well. I was reminded of a show called Arrested Development. Now, I'm not going to ask you. I apparently do that a lot. I ask you if you've seen shows. And I'm just going to assume you have. If you haven't, go watch Arrested Development. It's probably the funniest show I've ever seen, and I don't laugh a lot. So go watch the rest of the development. But there's this character called George Michael. He's a kid. And there's one sort of story arc where he dates a girl and she's a Christian girl. And they characterise her as being dull and boring and lifeless and uninteresting. Anyway, there's this dialogue that goes on where George Michael is caught having, he's at a cafe or a restaurant or something, when he's supposed to be at church with her. And he says this, he says, when he gets caught, he says, oh, we're just having a little fun. He's with his cousin. We're just having a little fun, you know. And Anne says this, I think that church is fun. You should be there. I thought you felt the same thing. And he says this, well, I do. I like not having fun, which is implied that's what church is. I like your idea of fun. I mean, our idea of fun. I mean, not having fun. I like having that. And he gets really confused. If you ever see the show, you can see him saying that. But it begs the question. We get that picture off. That'd be great. It begs the question, is it actually true? How do Christians, how are we supposed to, uh, like, sort of approach enjoyment or fun? Celebrations play. If you've been here at all over the past kind of couple of months, you'll know that we're working through our We Are series. I was given this title, We Are Rejoicers. And it's like, well, what does that even mean? We actually struggled. I remember having a conversation within the staff team talking about what does that actually mean? Okay, so we are rejoicers. Does that mean that we're worshippers? Well, it probably does but it also means that we are celebratory. Now, we didn't choose that because it's really hard to say from the front. You don't want to say it again and again and again, but we are celebrators. I don't know if that's gram- grammatically right. Um, we are joyful. And what I'm actually going to focus in on is we are playful. We play. We enjoy life. And so we are rejoicers, sort of encapsulates all those ideas that I've just spoken about. We are celebratory, we are fun-filled, we are playful, we are joyful. We are, generally speaking, Happy, generally speaking. Now, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with Christian faith? Hopefully, I can explain that. I've got a few caveats, though. Okay, I've got a few caveats before I jump in. I'm not saying that Christians don't suffer or have difficult times. So, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if you are going through a hard time that there's something wrong with you or your faith. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Christians never have times of lament or grief or sadness or hardship. I'm not even saying that Christians should never struggle with things like anxiety or depression. Okay, I'm not saying that. But I do think over the course of, say, a whole Christian life, 10, 20, 30, 40 years following Jesus, 60, 100 years, whatever it is, that your life, generally speaking, generally speaking, should be marked by hope and joy and celebration. Now, there's going to be times where you feel hopeless, but I still think there should be a pattern of hope in your situation. And this actually touches all of our life, right? So it touches our relationships, but it also touches, I think, our, our leisure, what we do with our time, our creativity, our hobbies, our passions, the things that we enjoy doing, our interests, all of that stuff These kind of things that I'm going to be covering tonight. As a point of reference, I'm going to be working my way through a part of um, Colossians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae many, many years ago. That's going to be our kind of ground base here. So the first thing I really want to emphasize is that we are rejoicers, so Christ actually frees us to play. Christ frees our play. So Christ frees our play. Verse 17 of chapter 3. This actually is another reading, so it would be great if you had your Bibles. It should be on the screen behind me as well. Christ frees us to play. These are the words of Paul. Excuse me. And whatever you do whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, it's an amazing thing. We've probably heard this a lot of things, but a lot of times. So look what he says here. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, everything you do, that includes work, it includes raising a family, but it also includes uh, times of le- leisure, times of enjoyment, things that we do in our spare time. Whatever you do, and the second part is even more important, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's amazing, as I think of my life, as I think of the different things going on, and even the things I do for fun and leisure and play, and to rejoice and have a happy life, I actually think I do a lot of these things in my own name. Maybe you can relate. So, I was never an amazing athlete, but I played sport, soccer, mainly for a whole bunch of years, but I did that for my own kind of glory I think. Music. It's a leisure thing, but I do that for my own name in many ways. Even something like reading can be in our own name, can't it? Notice that people can subtly, subtly brag about what we read, you know, like, oh, you're reading Harry Potter. That, that's good. I'm actually over here reading War and Peace. You know, look how good I am. Or you're reading the novelization of Shark Sharknado. That's interesting. I'm actually just busy reading Dostoevsky, you know, you just sort of slip that in there. So, reading can be something that we brag and find identity in, can't it? We build up our own glories. Everything is supposed to be in the name of Jesus, and yet we do it for ourselves. We do it for Tim or for Rebecca or Sam or Catherine. I'm just choosing names of people, hopefully, not in the room right now. Um, we do it in our own names, don't we? We build up our own name. And the thing is, we think it's going to give us purpose and identity and meaning, but it actually does the exact opposite. Because these things that we think will make us feel whole and complete actually leave this ache. I actually think they expose the meaningless of our life. If our life's all about us, well, then it ends with us as well, doesn't it? And this is where our culture's at. I was reminded of this when I watched a film called Napoleon Dynamite. If, what, if you ever have an opportunity to watch this with your parents, they're going to look at it and think this is gibberish, right? Napoleon Dynamite. And the thing is, it kind of is gibberish. It's absolutely kind of about nothing. It's about this weird, awkward guy who says some crazy crap and does some silly, silly things, and then he dances, and that's the end. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen Napoleon Dynamite. That's the gist of Napoleon Dynamite, and it's light-hearted, and it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's not supposed to be taken seriously. But it's still an exercise in meaninglessness, meaninglessness. It's not about anything. It's a light-hearted view of that. This is our culture at this at this point. But I've actually got a darker picture of this as well. I've quoted this before in a sermon, but this is a quote from a film called Fight Club. Don't know if you've seen it. Um, I'm not going to ask the question, I'm going to assume you have, but this is a really important quote that says so much of where our culture's at. An entire generation pumping gas, wedding tables, slaves with white collars, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate, so we can buy stuff we don't need. We're the middle children of history. We have no purpose, no place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'll all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact, and we're getting very, very angry. A bit of a paraphrase there. This is the way our culture operates, right? There's a meaninglessness there. And yet in Christ, we're freed from the meaninglessness. It sounds paradoxically, the fact that when we live for someone else, in that, we get meaning, but that's the heart of the gospel. In Christ, our whole lives, our play, our rejoicing, our celebration is redeemed and saved from meaninglessness. So important for us to remember here. That's why we're free to rejoice. That's why play, I think, is so important for the Christian. And this phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus, is all through the Bible. I could give you all the examples here. It's going to take too long. But in the normal name of the Lord Jesus, actually, is kind of shorthand for a whole bunch of things. We could say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, means for the sake of his name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, means in open and explicit acknowledgement that he alone is God and sovereign over everything. It means to the glory of him alone in humble admission that he is the source of all good things. I'm not. He is. Because in the name of Jesus also means because of who he is and all that he has accomplished for us in his life and death and resurrection. And we think that's going to be a prison. But the truth is it's so liberating. We don't need to use our skills and our gifts to impress others, to be known ourselves. I don't have to subtly name drop the books that I'm reading so that people think I'm really, really smart, even though I do that all the time. Because it's in his name. It's not in Tim's name. It's in his name. It frees us to play. In Christ, we're free to play. Secondly, Christ shapes our play. Christ shapes our play. So this teaching, or explanation, or exposition, whatever you want to call it in Colossians, is actually placed... At the beginning of a chapter where Paul is basically teaching the people who would call themselves Christians and followers of Jesus how to live a holy life. Okay, he's teaching me how to live a holy life, that it be of holy people separate, separated by God and to be shaped by God's character. Now we need to know this is a moral distinction, right? It's a moral distinction. They're supposed to live lives that are morally different from those in their context. And this is what he's talking about in verse 1. Look what he says here. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look what he says here. Set your hearts on things above. And so play, enjoyment, rejoicing needs to be understood in these terms, doesn't it? Paul is not saying that we need to go and sit in a monastery and pray all day and read the Bible all day, that that may be helpful for some of us. But I think he is acknowledging that there are things that are helpful for our growth and maturing and growing in Christ and things that are unhelpful. I'll give you an example. I used to listen to a band called Radiohead, okay? Um, It's an old band. Hey, they're in the 90s. I used to like Radiohead. It got to a point, though, where I found the assumptions and the, the sort of Basis for which Radiohead sort of sing their songs. It's basically meaningless, okay? The guy is a known atheist, a guy who writes their music. And he basically has this sort of point of despair. And I remember listening to Radiohead and going down into this pit. And kind of from a Christian slash spiritual point of view, I thought to myself, I came to the conclusion that this actually isn't really helpful. And so I very rarely listen to one of my favorite bands. I used to love them when I was an angsty kind of kid, but not so much anymore. It's just not really helpful. I must say there's been things in my life where I've had to simply think deeply about and say, this isn't helpful. It's not actually focusing in on what Paul says here. Focus on your things above. Other things in your life where you need to take seriously what Paul's saying here. All things are permissible, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, but not everything's beneficial. Other things that are hurting you in ways that you don't know, don't understand. Another example I've found... um, I often work, particularly with things like sermons, I I go and lock myself away. Establish is not good at this. They talk too much when you're trying to work. If you ever go up to the office, there's people chattering and it's just full on. I can't deal with it. I can't deal. And and people laugh at me, but I go and hide somewhere in Cronulla. I used to work in Miranda. I used to go and work in Westfield, Miranda, and scab their free Wi-Fi. Now I go and find a, a coffee shop here where I can work quietly. And a funny thing, I'm so much more productive when I listen to Christian music when I work. As against secular music. I don't know what that is. It's not because the Christian music's better. Most Christian music's kinda of like three chords, you know, it's boring and they write out of words, so they repeat a lot. At least that's the only reason I can think they do it. There seems to be something else going on there, isn't there? Surely. There seems to be some spiritual aspect that I am better spiritually and emotionally and mentally when I focus on the things above. Focus on the things above. And there's been studies on this, how fiction and art actually kind of gets under our defenses. We think in cognitive ways, but art has different presumptions and different um, sort of things which undergird it, and those can, things can subtly change the way we approach life. And so I'll ask you again: is there things that you're engaging with, programs that you watch on TV, music that you listen to, things that you enjoy that are actually harmful to your walk with Christ, however you want to put that? says this in Philippians 4, pretty much the same thing. (coughs) Excuse me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble. This should be on the screen if we can get it up. Thanks, mate. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, that includes the thoughts in our heads, but it also includes the words on our lips, the steps we take, the shows we watch, the books we read. The food we eat, music we listen to, focus on the things above. Thirdly, Christ redeems our play. Christ redeems our play. This comes from the kind of last chunk of what we just read from James there. I've read in my notes that play should actually remind us of our first love. That's a different way of kind of emphasizing what I'm saying here. Look what it says in verse 1 here. Since then, verse 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I love how this is put. Look what he says here in verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's such a beautiful phrase. So our lives are hidden in Christ. We are so aware of our sin and our shame and the things that we still carry around with us, the things that we still do that aren't pleasing to God. And yet when God looks at us, he doesn't see that. He sees the holiness and the purity of Christ. It's almost like the image reminds me of a bird who kind of wraps her young, young ones in the wings to protect them from the rain and the weather. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And Paul is basically saying that this principle should so kind of inflame and inspire and embed your life that it affects every part of your being. That's what Paul is saying here. How else can we say what he says in verse 17? Whatever you do, everything you do, do it in the name of Jesus. It needs to affect your whole life, doesn't it? So let me ask you a question What is the delight of your heart? What is the number one thing to which you strive and seek and devote yourself to? Is it just enjoyment? Is it shallow joy? I think we've seen if we seek play and enjoyment for its own sake, we become frantic and overwhelmed, full of meaninglessness. We find that it doesn't meet our deepest desires. But when we see the pleasures of this life, the joy, the rejoicing, pointing to the greater pleasure of God himself then we can enjoy play, I think, in the way that God intended. I'll put this another way. I'll say this twice. Play, then, is an end, but it's not the end. So play is an end, but it's not the end. The end is Christ himself. C.S. Lewis, so helpful in so many things. Talks about this very thing, and he talks about the pleasures and the joys and the play of this world in this way. He says he says he sees them as shafts of glory as they strike our sensibilities. Can we get this on the screen? It should be up there. I've tried to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration to God. That's alright. So by pleasure, Lewis just means things like, you know, food and a beautiful sight or a delicious experience or a great book or a piece of music or even a relationship. They make pleasure, they turn them into a channel of adoration and he points them into two things. Basically he says it's gratitude and adoration. He says gratitude exclaims how good of God to give me this thing. Adoration says what must be the quality of this God be to give me this? What must be the quality of that being who's far off this is hard to say, and momentary coruscations, I think it says, are like this. In other words, who is this God who's given me these wonderful things? And he finishes this, he says, we, mind, we run our mind up the sunbeam to the sun. In other words, we see where this glory actually comes from. It takes us not to the glory itself or the enjoyment itself, but it takes us to Christ. And it takes off the pressure of things as well. We don't frantically try and fill our lives with joy and happiness because these things are ultimately pointing to God. It reminded me of a wedding I went to a couple of years ago up in Wagga Wagga, the place so nice they named it twice. That was funny, I enjoyed that. I don't know if you guys did. I'm sitting here enjoying that joke right now. The best way to describe the wedding was that it was kind of perfectly imperfect, right? So the dressing, dresses were really nice but kind of simple and basic, Makeup was done by a friend, not a professional, the guy who played the music. I don't know where they got him from. They dragged him from a gutter. It was actually me. It was me. That was a joke as well. The reception was literally in like an abandoned cow shed, I'm told. Um, The food was really, really basic. But I must say it was one of the nicest weddings I've been to. I can't compare to the more recent established church weddings I've been to. But it was a really amazing wedding. There was just a kind of playfulness and joy to this wedding that I thought was really rare. And it was a playful in a way that didn't actually direct the glory of the occasion to the couple, or even to the occasion, but somehow to God himself. And it reminded me of my first love, as all good play and rejoicing should. And we can use uh, C.S. Lewis's quote again. Uh, we can follow the, the sunbeam up to the sun, can't we? And see where the glory actually should be directed. And so being raised with Christ, it frees up our play, doesn't it? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It shapes our play, the things in your life that you need to change and take away. It also allows us to redeem our play. We follow the sunbeam up to the sun. Um, I was reminded of this just the other week, actually. Actually, just the other month, I was at a birthday party in uh, my family. We do have them occasionally. I love watching kids get excited. I have a, I have a little ne- a niece. Her name's Bromwyn. Um it was quite amazing watching her get so excited about a cake, like she was literally shaking. She's four years old and there's this cake sitting on the table and, just... and she's, she's frothing over it and I just watched her and she's great. We have this funny relationship, me and Bromble and she really likes me for some reason <laughs> um, and we just connect and she was just so excited and I remember thinking to myself, it's like a mass of sugar and flour and milk. What, what goes into a cake just like that sort of stuff? And she was so excited. I remember thinking, man, when I was a kid, I used to get so excited about simple things like that. And I'm sure there's biological reasons why that's happening, but I I also think that she is just so secure. She knows she's so loved that everything's going to be provided for her, that all her needs are going to be met. She's so secure that she can just get happy and giddy and joyful about stupid things. And I wonder if we understood how secure we are in Christ, whether our hearts will get moved by stupid things like that as well, hanging out with a friend, celebrating with a group of people for a birthday party, going to a party, watching a good TV show, listening to some amazing piece of music, because we're so secure in Christ. We don't worry about the things which burden us and weigh us down, which take up so much of our thinking. I'll use Paul's words to, um, to remind us maybe to finish up here. Our lives are hidden in Christ and therefore we're free to play and to rejoice. Let's finish up. I'll sing. I think we're going to sing a song. I'll pray. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much uh, just for this reminder. Thank you that in Christ we can be truly joyous. Um, we can play. We can enjoy each other's relationships or relationships with one another. Uh, thank you so much are that we're redeemed to play in the way that you actually would have us play and enjoy this life. But help us not seek these things as an end in themselves, but help us to see the source of our play and our enjoyment. Help us to really worship you through these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.